Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, how are you doing, Sean? How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Well, you know, I, I can't complain. It's been a wonderful week so far, at least the first week of May. Can you believe it? We're in May already. It's been five months in 2022. Time yeah. flies. It is amazing. <laughs> Anyways, uh, hold on. let me switch this to gallery view. There we go. Gallery view. At least for uh, if this is going to be on YouTube or anything. But anyways, uh, so what are we talking about today, Sean? We're kind of starting off with a whole podcast talking about gallery view here. So what are we what are we talking about today? <laughs> um, I was thinking of asking you about value investing. Oh, cool. Um, My favorite subject. Yeah. So I guess the first question is, you know, the nice broad question, what how would you describe value investing and how does it differ from other kinds of investing? Oh, this is going to be a tough question to answer. Uh, <laughs> and the only reason why is because um, I, I don't know if I could say that my method is value investing. I, I like to think it is. There's so many different definitions out there and depending on who you talk to, they all believe it's value investing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like when we were talking about the whole Bitcoin thing, you know, you could you could argue that in your case, this is value investing. And I, I, I personally would break down the term value investing into something extremely simple, which is finding a, a product, a company, an idea that is at a very cheap price, like a sales price. So whenever you go to like a grocery market or whatnot, right? You have a rough idea. If, if you shop there for a while, you have a rough idea of what the prices are for one pound of meat, right? Chicken, beef. You have a you have an idea of what the prices are for uh, one pound of spaghetti, pasta, right? And every so often when you go to the markets, they'll have these sales. And sometimes maybe an average price for a pound of ground beef might be $7.99, for instance. And then all of a sudden you see it for $4.99. I mean, that is a nice sale. That's like a six, not not a 60%, right? No, no, it's like a 30% discount right there off of the average price. And so that's how I actually see value investing, which is I'm shopping around the markets. And in this case, it's the equities market, the stock market. And I'm just looking around and seeing what prices that I normally see that goes on for super, super cheap. And depending on how cheap you want it will determine, you know, the, the conservativeness of the investment. And, uh, but it, it, it's really that, that for me is what value investing is. It's just shopping every day, seeing what's on sale. Uh, if it's at a good enough price for me to put money into it, I'm going to put money into it and purchase it and, uh, hopefully with enough homework, with enough understanding of what I'm purchasing, uh, I will know with a good confidence level that it will go up in the near future. So that to me is what value investing is. Interesting. Um, interesting. And so um, generally you'd focus on stocks. I think a lot mm-hmm. of investors, uh, value investors, uh, mm-hmm. focus on stocks and picking individual stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the next question, the 
multi-million dollar question is how do you identify <laughs> a stock that is on sale? Well, that 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 is a very hard question again. And I <laughs> I wish I wish I had the answer. I don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is like going to a regular market, grocery market. You just have to go there often. So it, it's not like I have a secret equation. It's not like I, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's just that I go there enough and I have enough experience in shopping for certain things that I have an idea of what a good price is and what a good price isn't in the current circumstance. Now, most likely the circumstances does change every so often, but you know, the more that you shop for, say, ground beef, a pound of ground beef in the market, you're going to see price fluctuate. And chances are when prices are getting cheaper, you want to purchase that, right? So mm-hmm. say that again in, this, in the last example, $6.99 a pound, and all of a sudden you see it for $5.99 a pound, you might want to think about that. It's like, hey, that's a dollar off of what it's usually worth or $4.99, $3.99. So I'm, I'm, it's, it's a buildup of experience uh, in essence. And the only way that you can get that experience is actually daily or even weekly or monthly. Just, you know, shop around the stock market, see what companies you know, see what you actually like to read about, what like to invest in. Uh, if you believe in a product, say that you believe in the um, Pepsi Cola, you know, ideology where you want you want Pepsi to be in every every buddy's household because it is a great product it, it releases a lot of endorphins now honestly coca-cola beat them to that but you know if you believe in something like that then that's something that you should be looking towards more so so always uh, I, I know this is a long-winded answer to your question but short answer is your experience uh just be just just be a daily practitioner or weekly practitioner of just observing shop uh, window shopping, for instance, uh, in the stock market. And eventually it's gonna start clicking, uh, uh, in your mind, uh, what the prices are generally. So it's a very vague question, a vague answer. I wish I could be a little bit more specific. Now there's a lot of Mm -hmm. things that go underneath that. And again, I'm not a huge, I, I can't say I'm a professional because I don't do this as a profession. Okay. I would say I am experienced enough. I've done it for, you know, 10 ish years. My average returns generally on a stock pick is above around 30%. Generally, uh, there are some stocks that just, I totally bonkers with it and it just went down like crazily. But on average, I do have a good uh, probability of getting a good return on it. So, and that's what I generally aim for. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, now I think some, well, uh, so pretty much any value investor, I think would be looking for some way to uh, get under the hood mm-hmm. to get like a deeper understanding of the company. Mm-hmm. Um Usually that's portrayed as like reading through the financials and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, looking at the, looking through the numbers, right. And seeing how, how well they're uh, using their, their capital and Mm -hmm. how much capital they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Is that what you do? Uh, 
I do that at the very end. Okay. So it's something that I will do last. I actually won't look at it until I, and my process is, yes, you have to read the financial reports. So I, I always would read the financial reports, but I don't ever look at the numbers until I can answer a couple of questions that I'm looking for. And some of those questions, I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole list because there's a lot, but the basic questions that I think everyone uh, would like to know is number one, uh, does the owner of the company, the leader of the company, do they communicate with us, right? Because it, it, at the end of the day, you're giving your money away to these companies. You're investing your money. You're, you're, you're loaning your money to these companies uh, in hopes that you know it grows the company and produces a positive result for your money. So get a good return. So you know, being able to understand where the um, money is going, at least if the owner can communicate that with me, that that's a good sign that, uh, yeah, you, you understand what's going on with your company. You're, you're telling me what you're going to do with my money. I like that. I like the transparency. Okay. I, I have more confidence in you because at least if you don't achieve it, then you can explain to me why you couldn't achieve it the next year. So just communication. Uh, the, that's something that I'm looking for. Again, you have to understand what the company is. And so in, in a financial report, so if you ever go into, you know, say, if you want to look in Tesla, for instance, go Tesla, uh, investors relation on Google, it'll show up all the financial reports that is submitted to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. And you can look up their annual reports and they'll give you a description uh, of what the company is, of their advantages, their disadvantages, what the current market is, what the competitors are, et cetera. And so those are the things that I would look into first. Those are the like generally the big two things that I look into. Um, and if I could find that the owner can communicate with me very well, that's a good sign. Uh, and if I can understand the description of the company and the positives, the negatives, competitors, et cetera, that's also a good sign. Now, if I can't, and it takes me about four or five reads through just the description itself, this is where I have a red flag, at least on my end, because one, I, does, it shows that I'm, I'm not understanding what the company does. So that puts me at a disadvantage. And so if, if I ever feel like I'm at a disadvantage starting out, I just don't look at the company anymore. Uh, it's, it's something that I'll just put away uh, for later, maybe a year, two years later, and then I'll come back to it when I have more experience in knowing what the, what the industry is like. So, um, so numbers, once those big two are met and then I look deeper into the company, then I'll look at the numbers. And see, hey, uh, are you using your uh, cash effectively? Are you are, are you increasing sales? Are you do you have a good net cash flow at the end? So good top line, good bottom line kind of thing. And how fast are you growing? So what is the rate of growth? Uh, and if you if I if those numbers if I can figure that out, uh, then that's a good chance where I might delve even deeper into the company and really understand the overall story of that company. Uh, why did uh, the CEO make this decision? What is it? What and try to guess what's in their minds as an owner of the business. So, again, it's a long-winded question. You're asking. Get, get more good. specific. This is, <laughs> I tried. I, I'm beating around the bush. I know, 
and, and I'm trying to give you guys a straight answer, but it's, it's so hard. I mean, this is, I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm, I can tell you the first like four years I was screwing up so bad and I've learned so much from, from those screw ups. And now it's, it's just like, now that you ask me, it's like, I'm trying to pull out everything I can, but I might be beating around the bush. And, I, and so I'm sorry. If that no, I think it's, I think it's good info. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking, so at first I was thinking I should ask you for an example. And then I remembered that, um, that as far as your current investments, you may not be super interested in giving an example. And so, uh, mm -hmm. Later, I'll ask you for a past example, but first, mm -hmm. I think it would be interesting to talk about, uh, is there a reason why you wouldn't want to share a something, the details of something that you're invested in now? Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone has their own reasoning. If you look at Warren Buffett, if you look at Charlie Munger, if you look at the big investors, uh, the reason why they don't do it, and this is just my understanding, I could be wrong. But my understanding is they have so much capital that they're trying to invest that the daily movement of the stocks, like how much on average is the stocks trading per day? So if there's like a million shares outstanding, then only 300 shares, 300,000 shares are moving daily average. Um, they can't go $50 billion because that will exceed the 300,000 shares, for instance. And so they can't really say what they are trading because they're trying to purchase those shares uh, over a span of a month, two month, three month time frame. Okay, so that's why generally uh, with the SEC they will file a uh, a report every quarter of what they have invested in, and, and it's just to be fair because they they can't purchase that fast, and so that's their reason. My reasoning is not that it's not like I'm trying to hide my my investments. Uh, at all. Uh, my money is way too small and I'll be able to fill in my orders very easily because I'm only buying a couple hundred, maybe even a thousand shares at most um, for every trade that I do. Um, and, and even less for, for the more expensive ones. And so for me, it's, that's not the case. What's really the case for me is that the reason why I don't like to talk about stuff that I'm currently investing in is because during the time I'm investing, I have a certain hypothesis of the company. I have a certain story that I've already created. I have a certain number that I've already calculated. And I don't want to form a positive bias towards that specific company. And, and what that means is that, you know, the more that I talk about a certain company, the more that I, I am explaining my ideas, explaining my results, explaining my hypothesis, the more that I will be biased towards my own opinion and form a very strong, concrete belief in it. And in the investing world, you want to be as neutral as possible, at least in my experience. I want to be as neutral as possible. I don't want to have a, a super positive or super, super negative bias towards that story itself. And uh, things change. And so... If that's the case, then I want to know both sides of the coin before I put more money into it. So I like to know the pros and cons at the same time. Uh, and hence why if, if I start talking about the companies that I, I'm really interested in, I, I over offset the positive over the negative. And, and that just gives me a very skewed vision uh, of the company itself. So that's why I don't talk about it. Yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. that's that's really interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely heard of, you know, a lot of investors try to um, just not get too married to one of their mm-hmm. investments, mm-hmm. but they'll still talk about it. And, you mm-hmm. know, you just kind of actively try and push against your own bias. But yes, I think that's a really, uh, it'd be much easier if you never talked about it. That's, mm-hmm. that's definitely true. Well, it, it's also just under being aware of your own personality trait. And that mm-hmm. to me is what investing is. It's, it's really a self-discovery of yourself mm-hmm. uh, because in, in the investing world, as you know, there's going to be a lot of fluctuations, a lot of ups and downs, and it's going to, it's going to play a huge role on your mental, you know, psyche. Uh, especially if you're losing a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, in in a day because you know somehow Bitcoin dropped 10k, right? Mm-hmm. Hypothetically speaking, that's gonna that's gonna be a huge like oh crap I just lost so much money and I didn't do anything and it's gonna have a huge role. So a lot of investing is strengthening your your stomach uh, for these emotional ups and downs. Um, and likewise, when things go well, say that Bitcoin goes up 10,000 and you've just gained a couple hundred thousand, for instance, you can't be overly excited about that. Um, just because for the exact same reason, you don't want to have that super biased, uh, belief that you, you know, you're on the top of the world and you know, everything. And the only reason why I say that is because that's what happened during my first couple of years. I, I invested in, um, in a company back then. It went up uh, quite a bit and I made quite a bit of return on that. And I thought I was like, oh crap, I know everything. Let's, let's keep doing this. And then the next investment I made pretty much cratered into the ground. So (laughs) (laughs) it it was, it was not a good trade. Let me tell you. And so um, that, that, that was, uh, that was a very interesting trade back then. And so, uh, and I'm I'm just going to tell you guys, tell you guys and and tell you and the the listeners what that trade was in the very beginning that I made a lot of money on, which was um, Activision Blizzard. Uh, I actually made quite a bit of money on that. I believe I went in at roughly, and this was during 2011, 2012. Uh, so WoW was still a thing uh, and there was still StarCraft coming out. And so I knew a lot about the gaming sector and I knew a lot about Blizzard, the company. I didn't know that they were bought up by Activision. And so I actually went in purchase Blizzard without realizing Activision was also tied into it. So I purchased it and I believe at the time it was... I can't recall what the price was. Maybe um, I think it was like 30 or $40 a share. Right. And I remember that it was getting really high. Like after a year, two years, it was, it was like really, really high. That was probably one of my longest holdings uh, at the time. And this was during the first couple of years that I was uh, getting started into learning what a business was and what investing was in general. And it went up to, I think at, when I sold it, it was $82. So I, I got in at 40, 40 something, and it sold at around 82, right? Mm-hmm. So I just doubled my money within that one investment. And I was feeling pumped about it. I was like, I'm on top of the world kind of thing. I was like, yeah, I know this investing game and such. And so you know, I, 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 I took my money off the table. I sold all my shares because I didn't feel like that Blizzard could go any higher. 
and there's a lot of things that I didn't really like about it anymore. Um, just in terms of the games that were coming out. I mean, StarCraft was still a nice thing, but Diablo 3 uh, was okay. And I just saw that the quality overall was not as good as the golden eras of when we, we were playing the video games. Now, when did uh, when you were deciding to buy, mm-hmm. um, what made you think it was attractive? Were there games coming out at that time that you thought were like, uh, killer? The only thought that was in my mind is like, wow, it's still a thing. There's still a lot of people talking uh-huh. about it. StarCraft II was huge. I, at the time, I was watching a lot of commentary on youtube about starcraft 2 and so i was like hey this might be a cool thing to invest in because i'm constantly watching starcraft 2 commentary i am looking at you know i'm still playing warcraft 3 and starcraft and so this this is something that hey you know this might be a cool thing uh to to look into and so um why not right why mm-hmm. not just look into it and uh, purchase some shares? Because I, I like the product. I, I really did. And um, from there, th- that's why I bought it. I, I didn't really look at financials at the time because I didn't know how to look at financials at the time. And so I just I just went into it and bought it. So uh, and one thing led to another. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm making money off of this. Cool. <laughs> so Nice. <laughs> and yeah. And, and you know, back back in again i i can't recall what the price was uh back in 2011 to 2014 i i just remember it, it was it was low double digits okay so don't quote mm-hmm. me on the 30 40 because i i personally don't remember i just remember making a good return on my investment and mm-hmm. i i think i sold it roughly around the 80 price mark or something like that maybe 70 Okay. It, it was quite a while ago. This was, we're talking about almost 10 years ago. So I don't remember and I haven't invested back into it since. So uh, with that being said, I know that Microsoft just sent a, a release earlier a week ago or two weeks ago, at least at the time of this recording, where they're going to purchase Activision Blizzard. And so I'm really excited about that. Now, will I invest into Activision Blizzard again? Probably not uh, because I haven't found anything that i liked about it at least the games that they're releasing and so but we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i remember um i think when i was in college when i was in business school was Mm -hmm. around the time when uh when when world of warcraft became the first billion dollar game Mm -hmm. and i thought wow that's that's a that's sort of a watershed moment i think Mm -hmm. um and I do, you know, so talking about the, the, <clears throat> the idea of sharing um, your investments, you know, I've been pretty heavily in Bitcoin for a while and mm-hmm. I've shared that with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my psychology um, is mm-hmm. more okay with that. Like I, for a long time, I've actively practiced admitting that I was wrong, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um so i try so i don't think like the ups and downs of bitcoins of which there are many um Mm -hmm. i've been able to handle them pretty well but that was definitely my introduction to extreme volatility because before bitcoin um any investment any really savings that i have i would put into something like an index fund or you Mm -hmm. know a 401k index fund and just Mm -hmm. let it 
um, be in that in that investment, which you know was relatively stable. And so I remember um, when I first bought a little bit of Bitcoin, it was before the 2017 uh, sort of there was a run up or like a, a mini bubble in Bitcoin mm-hmm. in 2017. And I remember, you know, I I remember vividly looking at I use mint.com which mm-hmm. is a personal finance app that shows like your net worth. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went to breakfast one day around uh, December, 2017. And I just happened to open up mint.com and the number of, of the money that I had was just like so high. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what is going happen? on? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I had to look around like, um, is this real? Yeah, Am I in a dream? I, yeah. <laughs> And then I figured out it was Bitcoin and I said, okay, well, this isn't like enough money to retire or something. So Mm -hmm. the next question is, should I sell, you know? Mm. Um, And I ended up not selling, which I don't consider a mistake. I Mm. mean, I guess, uh, you know, hindsight is 2020, but I Mm -hmm. think um, just because an an investment went up doesn't mean you should necessarily sell it. Mm -mm. What you should ask yourself is, do I still believe in it? And do I think... Mm -hmm it's worth more, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, you know, you have to deal with the ups and downs. And of course, after that, Bitcoin went down. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that was a lot easier for me. I don't, when Bitcoin goes down a lot, I'm just like, oh, you know, that's, it's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I was going to ask you, I think I'm, I think I might've cut you off when you were saying um, after your success in Blizzard, mm-hmm. you took your money off the table and went to another investment mm-hmm. uh, how did that go and exactly what your tuesday looks like in bitcoin it didn't go so well <laughs> uh and and it, it was a a a penny stock company so the and the reason why i call it a penny stock company because it was worth less than a dollar at the time i had some success into it and it, it just completely cratered after that because it was going bankrupt. And I thought that I was like, okay, well, if it goes bankrupt, then at least I can get, you know, uh, it might fluctuate enough where I can double my money again. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to invest into this company. And um, I won't say the name of that company because unfortunately, uh, through this whole bankruptcy process, somehow I still have shares in their company. It, it didn't o- offset it at all. So I guess the company's still alive. Um, but I pretty much lost a hundred percent of my, uh, initial investment into it. So wow. it, 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 yeah, at the time it was like 60 cents a share. And now I think the pricing is like 0. 0.00000 something. So it's still around for some reason. I still have it in the portfolio. It, it usually when companies go out, they'll, they'll just get rid of it. But, uh, I'm just, I, I still have it. So I can't really say what company it is just, just because I don't want to. <laughs> But that that I've lost all the income in there, so let's just put it that way. It completely cratered. I was like, oh, I thought this company was going to be good. So, and again, this was during my first three years of actual investing. Like I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't ever look into. I didn't even know how to look into an annual report. I didn't know that that was a thing back then. Uh, annual reports, quarterly reports, you know, I, I, I was just looking at companies that I knew that I've heard of that I've used their products before. And one thing led to another. And, and so I was like, oh, well, shows that I didn't know what I was doing. 
So, yeah. Hmm. So I had two more questions. Maybe I'll come up with more, but um, ask away. So, I mean, just another one is, um, are there any other, are there any other past examples Mm -hmm. that um, you think would be a good story to sort of illustrate your process and probably, you know, maybe one that you're out of that you could, uh, you know, reveal all the details of if possible. Well, my first initial investments were just as what we just talked about, which was all I knew was gaming. So I went into gaming, into the gaming sector. So I looked for companies that dealt with gaming like Nintendo, Square Enix and all of that. And I actually made a lot a good profit on it because during that time, you know, for gaming was booming. Uh, it was always a thing, but it wasn't as big as it was, you know, five, 10 years ago. And one of the thought process that I had in my mind, and this was purely a speculative process, so I wouldn't say it's my investment style today. Um, back then, it was all speculation. And so one of the processes that was going through my mind was the Nintendo route. And so Nintendo at the time was trading between, I, I think I bought it when it was at, I want to say 16 to $24, one of those two price points. I bought it multiple times, so that's why I remember two price points. And my thought process for going to Nintendo was, one, Nintendo, you know, is, is a very strong brand. I mean, I grew up with Nintendo. The Super Nintendo was my first station. Actually, no, the, the first Nintendo was my first station. And, you know, we've always been a Nintendo-type uh, family. And so I I had strong familiarity with Nintendo. I mean, I grew up with Pokemon. I grew up with uh, playing Pokemon games, Pokemon cards, you know, Mario Party, Mario Kart, etc. And so this was like, okay, I want to invest in this company. I really like the company. It's a Japanese company. That's fine. Uh, At the time, I didn't know about the foreign policies of taxes and all of that. So that's a whole other story, which I'm not going to go into. (laughs) But um, it was a company that I knew uh, and I liked. And I keep buying the games. I mean, I keep buying the Pokemon games. They are always releasing a new Pokemon game out every single time. And people are just massively addicted to it. And so I was like, okay, well, this, this is going to be something I want to invest in. And then there was a news that, that, that just blipped uh, one day. And it was talking about a, a augmented reality. And now Nintendo wasn't a part of this augmented reality at the time. And it was, a, I forgot what the company was called, but they were, they were in the process of developing an augmented reality Pokemon game directly from Pokemon. So I was like, oh my gosh, this might be a big thing because it's like, you know, we've always wanted to have real life Pokemon battles, right? And now we can do it with the technology that's present to us. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in. So I invested in it. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of news that says, oh, it wasn't going to happen anymore and all of that. And so the price fluctuated uh, during that time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I bought in around 16 to 24. And I sold it after I heard those news that, oh, the augmented reality stuff wasn't going to happen, yada, yada, yada. I sold it at around 40-something dollars a share. So I, I still made quite a bit of money on it. I made you know 100% return uh, to 80 to 100% return on my money. And so I was quite happy with it. Little did I know that if I just waited six more months where it actually released, and I think it released uh, in the first half of the year, 
uh, January through June. I, I can't recall the time frame of it. Again, it was a, quite a while ago when this happened, so I, I don't remember the specifics. But mm. they released the Pokemon Go. It wasn't from Nintendo, but it was a huge movement. It was it was so big that people were walking into the middle of the road in a busy <laughs> intersection in New York City to catch these Pokemon. And just because of the amount of just internet time Pokemon had, I mean, every article you read was Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go. It just skyrocketed the company's valuation all the way up to like $60 to $70 a share, which it has never seen before, at least uh, from if my memory served. And so if I only waited just a little bit longer, I would have been able to sell it at a higher price. But I still made money off of it, so I'm not too angry about it or too upset about it. And usually uh, once I sell a company, I just forget everything. And so that's why it's really hard for me to remember anything that's happened because I move on to the next company uh, that I would be interested in. Now, will I invest in Nintendo again in the near future or the far future? Maybe. Uh, but as of right now, I, I don't personally think uh, it is cheap enough, in my opinion. Um, and so I'm just going to keep reading into it until uh, the story makes sense to me. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it is so easy to just say, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yeah, yeah. You know, look at all your past. Oh, I could have done this. I could have mm -hmm. done that, you know. Um, and but, it was purely know. by luck. And, and that's the thing. Like, when I first started, it was all luck. I, I, I didn't have a thought process to it. And, you know, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue just a little bit right now mm -hmm. because I was initially a mutual funds index investor. I mean, when I first, first started, this is like within the first six months of opening an account. Uh, I, I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but there's a lot of these packages here that says, oh, growth, growth fund or capital fund or a dividend fund, right? So mm -hmm. these are mutual funds. That, that were advertised to me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to invest in these. And after like a couple of months, I didn't see the prices fluctuate at all. And I, I didn't really see a good return. I was like, wait, I'm supposed to hold on to this for X number of years, but I don't see anything going with it. Okay, so let me try to do one or two stock picks. And then the one or two stock picks that I picked, you know, Blizzard uh, was one of them. It just went up 80%. And I was like, okay, well, I went up 80% here in a individual stock and then a mutual fund. I'm, I'm barely doing anything. I went into mutual funds. I went into index funds. I went into REITs. I didn't see anything. And so my thought process back then was like, well, if I'm getting a better return here, why don't I just go in here? Why am I holding on to these REITs, index funds, uh, mutual funds? when it's not growing at all for me and I can make a better return here. And I think there was a valuable lesson in that, at least now that that's more of my style, is if, if you are confident enough in going into individual stocks, right? I think that's a better way to go, in my opinion. You know, if you're willing to put in the homework, if you're willing to put in the time, the energy to understand what you're investing in, I think it, it is a good route. Um, and there's nothing wrong with REITs and all of that, REITs, index funds, mutual funds. The only thing I don't like about the mutual fund and REIT prospect of it is the actual uh, management style of it, right? Index funds is a different story. But if I had to pay someone my money 
to manage my portfolio for me. I'm not comfortable with that because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with a lot, of, and this is coming from experience now with a lot of people that I've talked to about investments, about anything of that sort. Most of the time I, I feel like they're kind of beating around the bush, just like how I am kind of right now. So <laughs> I, I, I know I'm beating around the bush, but it, it, I just pick up that I might know a little bit more about the certain companies than they would. I mean, they had to manage so many different types of, you know, they had to keep an eye on so many different types of, of companies. It, it just doesn't logically make sense that they would know everything about every single company that's on the market. I mean, there's 3000 companies on the market right now, just in the U S alone in the stock market. And if they're trying to invest their time in saying, understanding 200 of them out of the 3000, they're not going to be as diligent as I am if I'm looking at one company. Right. And so it's just the logic behind that and the payment system and, and just my return. Uh, it, it was, it was, I, I just found it a better alternative just to go into uh, my own individual stock picking because I had a better return. And long story short, the lesson that I picked up from that was pretty much that, that as an investor, the big thing is to always ask yourself is if I put my money in here, is this going to be the best return possible? And we kind of touched on this last week when you were talking about the uh, the bonds and the uh, treasury bill, Right. Mm-hmm. And this is always a good basis to compare your investments to, because you know that if you invest in a treasury bill or a bond, uh, you have this exact return every single quarter or every single year. It could be a 2% return. It could be a 1% return. It could be a 5% return, right? And so if you put your money into something that is nearly guaranteed to give you a return and you can't find any other investment that will do better, then there, that's where you should start right? That, that is the boundary. That is the breakpoint line where it, should I invest in this stock? Well, if this stock is only returning me 1% a year versus this bond that I'm looking at that gives me 3% per year, I'd much rather invest in the bond than the stock itself just because the return is better, right? And so the lesson that I learned, again, long story short, is know where to compare, how to compare, and Put your money in the areas that you think is best for the return. Mm-hmm. That was a long-winded answer. You can <laughs> well, you can me... see how my mind is working right now, and, and yeah. I'm going in circles. But it, it to me, it just makes sense. And no, I it does. It totally makes sense. Correctly enough, <laughs> it totally makes sense. Um, and I was going to add actually, as far as uh, yardsticks and measuring your mm-hmm. returns, another good. Uh, comparison, mm-hmm. a valuable comparison, is to compare your portfolio to uh, the S and P five hundred, mm-hmm. because you can get an index fund of the S and P five hundred with low fees. Exactly. And so, um, if you, you know, look at certain periods of time and see, do you did you beat the S and P five hundred, and especially longer periods of time can be valuable and that mm-hmm. that can make you think okay my um my Easy. value investing strategy is working mm-hmm. or you know maybe i'm struggling to keep up with the s&p 500 um, yeah. i mean if you beat it at all you know that's kind of impressive <laughs> so well, you know, again, you're kind with- of on the right track especially if you beat it consistently for uh you know 
three, yeah, yeah. four years, something like that. Well, I'm, I, I'm I would, I, w- I would be very hesitant to say consistently because there are going to be years that you're going to have a downturn, right? I mean, yeah, there, I would a, say maybe like uh, on average rather yeah, than yeah, consistently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that in the three years that I stopped investing and I did stop investing because I I just lost. So I lost 50% of my portfolio within the first five years. Mm -hmm. And so the first two years I made money and then the next three years I I just cratered. And that was a time where I really had to sit down and really understand because the first two years was all speculation. It, It was just, I'm just putting in money that I, the companies that I know without really understanding what I'm doing. And so the next three years, yes, I was kind of playing around one or two things per year, like trades per year, but I was really focusing on just understanding investments in general. And that's what led me to that Warren Buffett style, Charlie Munger, Ben Graham, uh, David Dodd type of style. And to me, that style made the most sense. Uh, There's a lot of other styles, the momentum investing, the trend investing, uh, the cost-based investing, stuff like that. Um, it, it, to me, it's just too much math. It, it's too much looking at a chart. And my personality likes things that are extremely simple to understand. Uh, I don't do well with complicated stuff. And as a teacher myself, when I'm teaching complicated ideas, it really is that most complicated ideas can be really simplified into a key fundamental understandings. And so the key fundamental understandings for me, it was the Ben Graham approach or the uh, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger approach. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I might, I might even experiment with some, a different way of phrasing that Mm -hmm. because I think um, the human mind is capable of understanding so much complexity. Yes. But there's like, uh, if you if you were doing one of these other investing approaches mm-hmm. where you're you know if you're using momentum investing and you're doing all these sort of uh, numerical and geometrical things with the charts mm-hmm. and making complexity that way mm-hmm. uh, that's a different kind of complexity versus in value investing I think one of the key things is getting a deep understanding of the company mm-hmm. and also as a human being you have deep understandings of the environment yes of what's going on in the world yes of what's going on in the other companies yes and you get an understanding of the leadership of this company yes what they're doing and then you get some of the fundamental numbers in there Mm -hmm. i think that is the a massively complex set of ideas but it is easily digestible Mm -hmm. for the human brain and what the human brain was meant to crunch. Well, I'm so, so I'm I'm so glad that you actually worded it in that way. I I would I would never have been able to word it like that. And so <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. That really helps me out. So, but I think you 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 nailed you nailed it. Uh, I think that uh, the way that I approach a lot of the value investing is a more sociable approach, which mm-hmm. is what we are designed to do as human beings. We're sociable creatures, right? And so the more that you gear towards the mathematical logistic and the robotic algorithms, um, the more that I start to not under, understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, if you look at just my first two things that I look for is communication and do I understand the company itself? That, that's more of a sociable thing uh, than any, any other 
algorithms or arithmetic means. So, um, yeah. And it, it really is understanding the environment, the ecosystem, the, the human behavior as well. It's understanding mm-hmm. the psychology behind it. Uh, there's a lot of applications. Uh, so that, that is what makes it complicating, but it is applications that we, we can easily get trained to see or we already innately understand. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Yep. All right. So guys, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, I'm Tin. Sean is with me. And hopefully you guys found this to be very enjoyable, entertaining, and informative. Uh, until next time, again, uh, don't trade pennies for a dollar. See you guys in the next episode. Take care. Bye.